The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the hour. Lots to uh, to get through, emails included. Sending one along is simple for you, help at disabilityrights.ca. And anytime you want to reach out to Tamar, she is here, wonderful team on her side. She will guide you, direct you, and help you and navigate these uh, insurance company waters when it comes to LTD, whether it's customers off or appeals or, or otherwise can be confusing right daunting and depressing and upsetting so reach out to tomorrow and her team get some clarity if only for a chat off the top is uh is fine one 821 5900 is the way to do that a lot of email and questions to get through tomorrow but we always start with a uh with the case of the day or the week that was pal what do you got going on I wanted to highlight a conversation I had. I actually had a couple of conversations with a woman who reached out to us, and uh, it's relating to something we talk about on the show, uh, very technical, and it's this provision called the pre-existing condition clause that we see in disability policies. So let me set the stage. She is 50 years old. She actually had just started doing work for an insurance company, um, she's actually out of BC because, as you know, John, we practice in uh, you know across the country and, and primarily in BC and Alberta and Ontario. And so, anyway, so she was a BC um, claimant, and she had just been denied by the insurance company on this pre-existing condition clause. And so, what the background was with her is that she had been diagnosed with fibromyalgia some years ago like i think she was in her teens when she was initially diagnosed and had just persisting pain and fatigue and her family doctor had been contemplating whether or not that fibro diagnosis had actually been accurate and then in the midst of that uh, she developed some really significant abdominal pain she had some altered you know bowel conditions and made an application for disability benefits on that basis. Not the fibromyalgia, nothing else in terms of her past history, but just specifically about the severe abdominal pain um, and the altered bowel. And after she had made the application for disability benefits, she was later diagnosed with IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that particular condition is that it can often actually be tied to fibromyalgia. So when she completed her disability application, and by the way, she had no issues with her short-term claim. So she got approved for short-term disability. It wasn't a problem. The problem started when she made her long-term disability application. And, you know, for those who may be new to the show, when you make a long-term disability claim, you actually need three forms. You need one submitted by your employer and then two that's going to come from you. You're going to submit one that is completed, that's, you know, typical form. This is where I work. This is why I'm off. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are my job duties, that kind of thing. And then there's a third form that comes from your doctor. So the doctor completes the form, John, and puts in there as the primary condition, as the abdominal condition, and this sort of thing. And then as a secondary and alternative condition, uh, she, the doctor makes reference to uh, possible irritable bowel syndrome and history of fibromyalgia. So the insurance company picks this up, and because this 
individual had not been in her workplace beyond a year, hadn't been covered for more than a year, it triggered the insurance company to do this pre-existing clause review. So let me talk about the clause now for a second. This is a clause that insurance company has insurance companies have put into their policies because they want to weed out, in essence, individuals who are just insurance shopping. That, that's really the thinking around this right. kind of clause, which is, look, I get diagnosed with a severe condition. Uh, I'm not working. I need to get benefits. Let me go get a job that I know has good, uh, good benefits, and then mm-hmm. I'll go off you know, within three months or six months or whatever it is. But insurers, in their ways, they have been using this type of clause as a way to weed out otherwise valid claims. So most people are not insurance shopping, John. Most people are simply starting a new job, hoping for the best, may have prior health issues, and you know, if it just so happens that within that first year that they're not capable of working, well, the insurance company is going to look at this pre-ex clause and see whether or not uh, it applies to their situation. And this clause does only apply if it's within that first year of coverage. Most of these clauses are the same that way. Where they differ, though, are in their words. The words really matter. This is where lawyers come in. This is where insurance adjusters are very clear about, or not clear, but they should be clear, about what they're using this clause for. (laughs) And in this individual's pre-ex clause, it said, if you have a health condition for which you are claiming disability, and it is directly or indirectly related to a prior health issue that you had, in this window of time, we're going to deny your claim. We don't need to approve. We don't need to review your disability claim. Um, we can rely on this pre-existing condition clause to say it is excluded. It is not a disability that is covered under our plan. And so they looked at the form that the doctor had, had completed, and they just denied her outright. They actually didn't even really consider whether the period of time that's for review lined up with what information was available medically to trigger the pre-existing condition clause. In other words, it's not just all your past medical information that matters, John. They can't go back 20 years and say, well, you had fibromyalgia when you were a teenager, so you you can't now 20 years later um, or 30 years later in her situation at age 50 make a claim and be barred from that claim just because you started a new job. It doesn't work that way. So usually most of these clauses will limit it to a few months before you started your job or a few months after you started your job. And in this uh, particular person's situation, it was a few months before she started her job. And in that time, she had not filled any prescriptions related to either abdominal pain or IBS or fibromyalgia. She wasn't really getting any treatment at all. She was sort of seeing her doctor um, but nothing that for which she was actually claiming disability for. So they denied her claim, and she persisted. And she persisted, and good on her that she persisted. She actually provided a lot of clarity in her own letter to the insurance company saying, well, hey, this is why you got it wrong. Uh, and of course, John, this was after she and I had had our initial consultation. So I talked her through, and I said, look, there are these words directly and indirectly, and you've got you know this doctor's report you know, form that says you've got this prior health history, I think you need some clarity around that and really to be very responsive to the specific words of this policy. And so with a little bit of coaching, she actually got her claim approved. And so I I clap, I clap, I applaud, 
Um, this is a very rare instance, um, but one where it was very clear that the insurance company had it wrong, so wrong. The adjuster misinterpreted the, the medical information completely, misinterpreted the forms, misinterpreted the policy. But here's the key takeaway, John. She wouldn't have known any of that if she hadn't called us, okay? That's right. And I think, you know, it's so important for people to please just get, find out your rights, understand what this is all about. This is not an easy concept. You know, these clauses, the words are not easy to understand. They're not meant for people to easily understand. They're meant for people to just give up and be confused and sort of say, okay, I guess I don't have a disability claim and just walk away and leave money on the table. And I don't wanna see that happen to anyone. Uh, and I, I especially don't wanna see that happen to people who think that just because they have prior health issues that this means that this disentitles them, that this means that they are not entitled to disability benefits. Nothing could be further from the truth. Regardless of when you apply, it's gotta make sense that there's some medical connection between what it is that you're applying for and what it is that your prior health history is. And if those two things are not related, then you absolutely are entitled to disability benefits if your doctor is supporting that you're totally disabled and not capable of working as a result of whatever health issue it is that you've applied for benefits for. Which is why off the top I said you just you have to reach out, at least have the phone call with you, right, and get some clarity because you're you're going to be uh, a little dismayed if not overwhelmed by what the insurance company tells you. They're going to shut the door in many cases, right? And it's, uh, it's that old David and Goliath thing we always talk about. You feel very intimidated by this big, bad insurance company, right? Yes, and you take for face value all of these words that they're putting into these two, three, four page denial yeah. letters, John, right? Like, yeah. it's a quagmire of like language and words that, that most people just simply do not understand and really don't have the wherewithal to think about, okay, well, wait a minute, what are they saying here? Should I appeal? Do I need to make a claim? Do I need more medical information? Where do I go? And I think that it could be that you need more medical information, but at least to give one disability lawyer, someone, myself, someone from my team an opportunity, let me look at the denial letter. I can weed through that very quickly. I've seen the words many, many times, so have every member of our team, and we can point you in the right direction at the very least. And look, if it's something that we can help you with, then let us help you. Because even with this woman that I described at the top of the show, John, no. You know, she had all these health issues. Underlying was certainly some anxiety and depression. And so she described very clearly to me in writing and in our call, look, this is peaking my anxiety. I'm, ha I'm, ha I'm being triggered by having to deal with this insurance company. I didn't think this was going to be a problem. I didn't have any issues with my short-term claim. So what's happening now? And when that aggravation happens, you know, you really are not necessarily thinking the most clearly and you really want someone to help you. And that is what we are here to do, is to help individuals through this, coach them through the process, or at least take this on, which we're more than happy to do. We will take it on by way of a legal claim. We will represent these individuals and we will get the insurance company to do what they were supposed to do from the start, which is to take a reasoned approach to the review actually look at all of the information, mm -hmm. look at yeah. the policy properly, and give an, a proper analysis and decision on the claim. 
want to dive into our email for the uh, remainder of the show and many questions to follow, you can send one along. They may not appear on this show today, uh, but hey, you know what? It's it's okay. We archive them and you might appear on a future show. So to reach out and ask your questions, help at disabilityrights.ca or just call tomorrow on your team. If you prefer a, uh, a phone call, one 821 5900 And I'll give you another anonymous way to ask questions with a searchable database of past questions called My disabilityquestions.com. That's how that works. We'll uh, return with lots more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You bet. We are back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the remainder of the hour. Uh, The reason why you listen to this is because you may be having problems with your insurance company. You may be on LTD, long-term disability, being told you're getting cut off. Maybe you've already been asked to appeal for the third, fourth time, and you're going to take that carrot dangling in front of you once again. Stop right there and don't do it. Listen to the remainder of the show and take one step further. Reach out to us, right? And get some answers anytime available for you. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That is the email address. And to call tomorrow and your team, always standing by with information, uh, 1-855-821-5900. With that said, my friend, let's get into our first email of the show. That would be uh, Tegan says, guys, currently on LTD, but being sent to an occupational therapist to eventually set up a return to work plan when I'm not ready for that. I'm wondering what my rights are. Really good question, Tegan, and lots to unpack here. And so what are your rights? I think the starting point really is what are your own doctors saying about your ability to work or not work? I think that in my mind, if Tegan has some current medical information or some kind of opinion, and John, I'm talking like a couple of paragraphs, not like a one-liner medical note here, like we're talking something detailed that really puts through all of the ongoing symptoms, all of the ongoing health uh, you know, treatment efforts and this sort of thing, and how that prevents Tegan from participating in this return to work plan, I think would be an excellent starting point right now. Look, the LTD benefits are still being paid. And so you want to somewhat cooperate with the efforts of the insurance company and what they're doing so that you can continue getting your LTD benefits. And there are sections in th- these disability policies that say, if the insurance company thinks that you can benefit from some kind of rehabilitation, some kind of treatment program that will help you get back to work, you need to participate in those treatment programs and that kind of effort. Unless you can demonstrate that it's medically going to harm your health or there's some other reason why you're not ready to do this kind of a program. And so if I'm sitting in Tegan's shoes, I wanna first start to get advice from my own treatment providers about whether this makes sense, the timing, um, you know, maybe get some more details around what this program looks like and then give that some thought in the context of, look, if I don't participate and there, uh, there isn't a medical reason why I can't participate, then I'm risking the insurance company saying I'm being non-compliant. And this is a really technical reason for insurance companies to deny claims. But when they put this kind of plan in place, John, they are very focused on bringing Tegan's LTD claim to an end. This is why they are putting money towards the claim is so that they can actually bring it to an end so they can stop paying the benefit, right? So the occupational therapist and this return to work plan, this is a classic insurance company move after you've been on LTD for a while to quote unquote give you some work hardening to make you ready to get back to work, not to make you better, not to help your symptoms, but really just to have that focus of returning you back to work. 
and they will lean on the words that are in their policies to allow them to do that. And I say allow, to, to force them to do that, right, Sean? That's, that's the, the harsh part of it. And so the best defense is a good offense, right? I, I say this you a bet. lot. It's not just for sports. It actually applies for disability situations as well. And that is why I think Tegan really does need to lean on um, you know, their own medical information and what their own doctors are saying. And then it's just sort of a dialogue, I would say, at that point, a conversation, some back and forth between Tegan and the insurance company and perhaps even the occupational therapist about what the program looks like, how long is the program going to be, you know, what level of participation is required, and then what's going to happen at the end of it. Because let's fast forward here, John, and think about, okay, after Tegan's gone through this 8, 12-week, 4-week, whatever period of time program it is for the return to work, you know, there will be periodic reports sent by the occupational therapist to the insurance company about how Tegan is progressing and whether or not Tegan is ready to actually return back to work. And so if it's very, very clear that that's not going to happen in the window of time that this insurance company is trying to rehabilitate you, then, you know, participate, give it a, give it a go, and then, you know, hope and expect that the right kind of information is going to be put over to the insurance company. At the same time, make sure that you are engaging your own treatment providers about what's going on. So if you go to a session and that session puts you into bed for two days, let's say, let's say it's a physical disability and you're not capable of getting out of bed for a while or it really has a dramatic increase of your symptoms, you want that documented with your own doctor or your own physiotherapist or your own chiropractor, whoever is in your orb treating you and helping you with your disability claim. And the absence of that will then mean that the insurance company only has one side of it. They're only going to get the occupational therapist's updates, and those updates are coming from an occupational therapist that's paid for by the insurance company. So there's already a bias in there, John, about you know what these therapists are going to do and how they're going to approach these claims. You know, I've, I've spoken to so many people who say, yeah, but the therapist told me that I wasn't ready to work. How is it that I'm now being denied benefits based on something that the therapist said to the insurance company? And I say to them, it's because they may be telling you what you want to hear. But the reality is they get paid by the insurance company. So they are going to be doing whatever it is that the insurance company wants them to do and pushing that envelope, not to help you. They're not there to help you. They're there to check off those boxes, complete a program, and try and demonstrate that you have enough ability to actually get back to work. Because once that you do, or once they have a basis to say that you can, they're going to cut off that claim and they don't have to pay the LTD benefit anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Scary stuff, man. Again, always reach out to uh, Tamar and her team if you have questions like Tegan or anything uh, of that nature, 1-855-821-5900. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, arming yourself when you talk to anybody representing the insurance company. How about speaking with the adjuster before speaking with you, Tamar? Is that okay? Advise or should we be reversing that? All right. Well, I th- this is one where I think that it's okay to speak to the adjuster. Um, whether you speak to us before or after you speak to the adjuster, I think really depends a lot on where you're at in the process of the claim. Uh, if you've just applied for disability benefits, inevitably, I can almost guarantee it, there will be a phone call with the adjuster who's reviewing your file. And that will happen very routinely, fairly early on in the process. And it can be a fairly long uh, discussion, telephone discussion with the adjuster about you know, what were your job duties, you know, what were, uh, what were your health issues? What are your current treatment efforts? You know, what are you doing day to day? This is typically called a functional telephone interview. Uh, or there's a bunch of different words for it, but that's generally what it is, is that they're assessing your function. 
And I don't know if there's any value in speaking to a disability lawyer at that stage necessarily, okay, John, because you know, you want to provide, you know, open and honest answers to those kinds of questions and there's nothing to hide really. I mean, that this is the other thing. There's nothing to hide. You want to give the adjuster as much information as to why you are on disability and not capable of working. And generally during that first phase of the adjudication or the review of your disability claim, what they're really looking at is, are you totally disabled from your own occupation, right? Doing the essential duties of the job that you were doing at the time that you stopped working. And so I really don't see a lot of downside in having those kinds of discussions with the adjuster. Give them as much information so that they can actually make that decision, um, whether it's to approve or deny. And then, depending on what's happening with your disability claim, then it may make some sense to speak to us. Look, the, the bottom line is, if anyone's listening, we're happy to speak to anyone at any phase of their disability claim, beginning, middle, and it really doesn't matter on any topics, okay? Yeah. Um, but if people are worried, look, I just, I don't even want to talk to the adjuster, um, I've got to encourage people to just have that initial dialogue and just continue to cooperate with their efforts to adjudicate because the absence of those conversations sometimes raises red flags for the adjuster unnecessarily. They're very cynical about people, and, and you know they're cynical about these disability claimants. They think they're being lied to all the time. They think that people are hiding things when they're not. Um, and so you can see that if you create barriers in that open communication with the adjuster, especially early on, that's just going to put too much attention to your disability claim and raise all sorts of red flags that you don't need to have there. So in terms of timing with the adjuster, you know, just cooperate, have it make sense, have it be somewhat regular. Um, and then if you're concerned about anything at any time, don't hesitate, myself, all the you know guys on my team, James, Albert, Michael, we'll, we're all happy to talk to you at any time to answer any other questions that you might have along the way. Love that. I want to get into uh, Ari's email next. It says, hey, uh, tomorrow I listen to your show all the time. Sounds uh, Sure sounds like mental health disabilities are not treated fairly by insurance companies. You got that right, Ari. says, I was surprised I got approved for LTD after I wasn't able to work. I'm going through some trouble with my family, uh, which is affecting my mental health. My wife left, and now I'm dealing with custody issues over my kids. My doctor supports me to stay off work. With the sadness and grief and anxiety, I'm also seeing a therapist. But the insurance company is asking me to take antidepressants again. Against, uh, antidepressants against my doctor's recommendations. I'm not sure what to do. <sighs> this is a really, really tough one, uh, John, because most of these disability policies will say, okay, we're going to pay you disability benefits if you're totally disabled from your own occupation. Usually that's the first two years of your claim. And I'm not really sure how long Ari's been on LTD, but I'm going to assume he's still in the own occupation phase, okay, just for our purposes. The definition of disability then quickly after that will include another term, one that we talk about but not as much as we do about the test, is whether or not you're getting quote unquote appropriate treatment or you're under reasonable and customary care for your health. So what does all that mean? Again, more words, lots of terms. It basically means that if your doctors think that certain treatment makes sense and you have to be under that care, you must follow that treatment and that care. Disability benefits are not there for you to simply assert disability and not actually try and make, make recovery a reality, right? They really are focused, insurance companies that is, to make sure that you are under active treatment and doing everything that you can to get better. The thing is though, it has to be reasonable, okay? And adjusters will typically push the idea of medication as the answer 
even physical disabilities. I've seen it, John. You know, they'll say to a physical disabled claimant, hey, just pump yourself with a bunch of medication, pain medication, strong pain medication, and that should be good to go for you to get back to work, when maybe that's not the best treatment plan for an individual on the long term, right? And insurance companies don't care about that. They don't care about your overall health. And so I do think Ari has to defer to his own treatment providers. What is his therapist saying? What is his doctor saying? And if they are not recommending an antidepressant medication right now to treat what he describes as sadness and grief over family circumstances that certainly sound terrible, uh, then I'm inclined to suggest to Ari that that needs to be something he follows with his own medical advice. But it gives the insurance company the opportunity to say, you're not under appropriate treatment or you're not under reasonable care. And because you're not meeting that requirement of that policy, we're going to cut off your LTD benefits because we think that you should be doing this and you're not. So how do you prevent that? If you're in Ari's shoes, what do you do to try and push back on the insurance company saying to you, you need certain kind of treatment? And this is, again, where a medical report, some kind of documentation from your own treatment provider will assist in pushing back on the insurance company's conclusion that the antidepressant is the solution to all things, right? I'd actually even be inclined to suggest to Ari that not only does he get a report from his doctor saying, no, I do not recommend antidepressants. I've spoken to Ari about it. This is the treatment plan. We're going to try these three things for the next two months, and then we will revisit the idea of the antidepressant. I prefer to see that with maybe even a report from the therapist saying, this is the treatment I'm providing to Ari, as opposed to Ari feeling as though he's got a buckle under the pressure of the insurance company's assessment that he re requires an antidepressant, right, as the solution right. to all of his problems. I, you know, I, I've got to wonder, John, how did the insurance company even come to that conclusion? Did they have Ari assessed by one of their own doctors? Did they? Is this just the adjuster coming up with a solution from their own, like, Google searching of solutions for, for depression? Like, i got to wonder what medical basis this is coming from and whether there's a reasoned uh, review of Ari's health and condition that has led them to conclude that the antidepressant is the answer in a situation. And so why I say this is because most adjusters don't bring that level of sophistication and review to these kinds of things and it is absolutely okay for a claimant to say my doctor does not think this treatment plan is reasonable I am under appropriate care I should be still entitled to my LTD benefits but back off adjuster I'm entitled to LTD I'm going to go down the path of following my own doctor's medical advice as to what the best course of treatment is we really appreciate that. Uh, reach out, Ari, the, uh, the email. We can continue that conversation on your own with Tamar if you'd like. And you know the phone number. You've probably heard it already so far, one 821 5900 More emails on the way. Short break first, and we'll continue with more Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yes, this is the Disability Law Show. Tamara Gopian is your uh, expert here to reach out to after the show. Always encouraged to do so. one 821 5900 is how you do that. If you want to uh, send an email, if you prefer that, um, anytime, not just during the show. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Having said that, Nadia. 
Up next, says, guys, I was off work for one month, shy of two years. I'm currently on a gradual return-to-work schedule, working up towards getting back to full-time. My return-to-work date was February 7th of this year. I struggled with the original schedule. I'm not working, or sorry, I'm now working every other day, which has helped substantially. Yet, I have to stay on part-time hours longer than anticipated. I have the full support of my family doctor. He does not want me to return to full-time until after I see the psychiatrist on August 2nd, in case there will be any medication changes. Now the insurance is saying that if I'm not back to work full-time by July 1st, July 1st, my status changes and my claim basically is ended. Any advice you may have would be tremendously helpful as I'm now panicking and unsure what to do next. Wow. Nadia, don't panic. Don't panic. We're here. We're here. This is what we're here for. Um, Look, John, I think that this is very clearly demonstrating the kind of pressures insurance companies will put on claimants when they get around that two-year mark, right? Let's start with that part of Nadia's email. She tells us that she was off work for one month shy of two years, right? No surprise there, because there would have been a change of definition in her disability policy that went from the insurance company looking at whether or not her health prevented her from working at her own job or her own occupation, to then, after those two years, the test becoming, can you do any job, any occupation, for which Nadia has the education and training and experience to do. And in that time frame, as the insurance company is leading up to that two-year mark, they're going to put a lot of heavy pressure, lots of adjudication, lots of review of Nadia's claim to see whether or not there's a capacity to work and try and, and move that envelope that way, to push that envelope that way rather, to get her back into that work schedule, which is what they did. So. Nadia went back to work, but she was struggling. No surprise, because she was probably returning back to work sooner than she should have. So with the help of her doctor, and I give the doctor a lot of credit, with with the doctor's full support, she was able to limit actually assuming full-time duties and work to allow her to continue to manage her health and work at the same time. And here's what I suspect is happening, John. This likely means that Nadia is still getting benefits from the insurance company. She's probably within the rehabilitation provision in her disability policy. There's different terms for it, but let me state it very simply. Just because you return back to work doesn't necessarily mean that the insurance company stops paying you LTD. There are sections in these policies that say that if you've got a partial work capacity and this has been approved by the insurance company, they have an obligation to top you up in essence. So you would get some earnings, some money from your salary from the work that you're doing like Nadia is doing. And then she would also get some compensation for the in, from the insurance company f- for that period of time, that return to work period of time. Mm-hmm. So given that it has taken a number of months and it doesn't look like she is anywhere near getting back to full-time hours and duties, you know, insurance companies doing what they're doing, they're getting antsy. They've now paid her for, if I do my math right, about almost three years, I think she's probably coming up to the third third year of this, and they want to bring it to an end. So regardless, they're going to try and make the assessment in some form or fashion that this is enough's enough and we think you should be at full-time duties. We gave, we extended the gradual return. You know, there's no medical basis for you to be on part-time hours and work. And so we're going to, you know, fully end your claim at that point. However, she tells us something really important, John, which is she's going to see the psychiatrist in a couple months. 
And yeah. the family doctor, you know, wants to understand what the psychiatrist is probably going to diagnose, what the psychiatrist is going to recommend from a health perspective and a work perspective. And so I think in a situation like this, this to me screams out the basis for a potential legal claim against the insurance company. They are prematurely ending Nadia's disability claim. And, and I don't even hear from Nadia that they've got a medical basis to do it. I think they're just getting impatient and having to pay that top-up benefit. And if the conclusion, John, from Nadia's own treatment provider, so if the psychiatrist agrees with the family doctor that partial work is the best that it's going to be for now, then that doesn't give LTD a pass. The LTD insurer should continue to pay. I've actually been dealing with a couple of claims like this, these top-up type claims. They're not easy to deal with. There's a lot of, again, nitty-gritty information in the policies. These policies differ from one insurance company to another. But I think when you take a bird's eye view and you look at this and you think, this doesn't make sense. Yes, folks, if it doesn't make sense, it probably means you've got a basis for a claim against your insurance company for disability benefits. And so, look, very simple process. I'm glad Nadia has sent out this email. Happy to talk about it on our shows. Um, and then, John, I think what I will do is probably reach out to Nadia and have a further consultation to talk to her about our options and see what it is that's going to happen between when her ending of her LTD benefits and then when she's going to actually see that psychiatrist in August and then put a treatment plan in place after that. Nadia, appreciate that. You probably got it already, but I'll uh, throw it out there. And for you listening as well, one 821 5900 You know, we, we get this question quite often, sometimes, uh, you know, during our live shows during the week as well, in other markets and email. And, uh, you know, some people can't afford to hire a lawyer. They're, they're down at this point. That's the whole point. What are some of the benefits your firm provides in that regard tomorrow? How do they navigate it? Yeah, really, really good question, John. And I'm happy to answer it as many times as people want to hear it. And so because I'm sort of saying, right, and as I said, in Nadia's situation, you might want to hire a disability lawyer and fight the insurance company. And so look, the number one thing people need to know is that there are no fees payable to us at all whatsoever unless we are successful in recovering money on your behalf against the insurance company. This is essentially the concept of a contingency fee arrangement, and it's something that is incredibly important for our disability clients, John, because they don't have money to pay for a lawyer. So good news, you don't have to pay us anything at all unless we are actually successful in getting money on your behalf. So that's the first and most important thing. And then there's a couple of other points I want to make. The other thing that we really pride ourselves on is responsiveness. I mean, this is something that comes right from the top. If you email, you know, our managing partner with Savan, and he's notorious for responding to emails, John, within like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. look, I, that's a high bar to meet, but you will absolutely get a response from any one of us in a very timely manner. And I got to tell you, that's not the same for all disability lawyers or all lawyers at all. And so we really pride ourselves in having that responsiveness and that engagement with claimants, claimants and clients. Um, right from the start, you're going to get a phone call, you're going to get an email, you're going to get lots of things happening, um, you know, and we're going to set up consultations and conversations, and that's going to continue if you choose to retain us to help you with your disability claim. And, you know, I think that the other part of this is, and this is coming from something quite personal for me, is that I've worked for the big bad insurance companies, John. I, I know what they're like. I used to do that work for a long time, and I saw the light, have joined the firm, have been doing this work for you know, claimants for a number of years now. 
And I leverage that experience. It's a really important experience, really key. And I leverage that to get fast, efficient, maximum dollar value compensation for my clients. And I'm not the only one on our team who has this kind of experience. And so I think that when you're thinking about hiring a disability lawyer, disability firm, you want to think about all of these factors and really make sure that you're making the right choices. And this is also one of the benefits of having our radio and TV is that you can take a look, take a peek. We are what we are. This is how we are. We are with our clients offline as well. Um, and we're more than happy to help people on a contingency fee basis if that is what they'd like us to do. Let's get into a short break. Got a couple more emails to go. CJ, yes, thank you so much. Sending that along. You are up next. In the meantime, how do you send one along? Help at disabilityrights.ca. And for quick and concise uh, points about LTD, uh, for uh, you know the topics we talk about on the show every week, really easy to use as well and navigate ltdfaq.ca. That's free. Check it out. And the phone number, of course, one 821 5900 to reach out to Tamar and her crew anytime. We'll continue after a short break with a few more minutes here of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yes, this is the Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go. Thank you for tuning in again this week. Always reach out afterwards. Have a conversation on your own. How about that privately with Tamar or a member of her team? 1-855-821-5900. Won't cost you anything to have a chat, right? Help at Disability Rights. That is our email address. CJ, you're up next. Thank you ahead of time for this one. Says, guys, I applied for LTD for surgery as I have gender dysphoria and the surgery is medically necessary. I had one surgery for it on January 9th of this year, but it got severely infected and had to be removed less than a month later. My surgeon is able to do the necessary surgery again in August, but my LTD claim was denied. I don't want to start an appeal as I've watched your show, heard your show, and I know that's a trick. I'm hoping you and your team would be able to help me good for you cj good for you cj is right and when we can absolutely help you and so look let's talk about these appeals john okay uh so when a disability insurer denies a claim they will put lots of words in there as to why they're denying the claim and then at the end they'll say but if you disagree we're going to give you 30 days or 60 days or until whatever date to appeal our decision and here are the four things that we want you to send to us to maybe try and pretty please tell us that why you are still disabled and require benefits. And what I don't like about the process amongst many other things is that they don't tell people that they have other options, John. They don't tell people that they absolutely can start a legal claim. The moment that you get denied your benefits, the time clock starts to run to assert your rights in a legal claim and get to the end of the line, I'm telling you, sometimes sooner than if you go through the appeals. Because it's not just one appeal. Because once you appeal, then typically they will send another denial letter, they'll tell you to appeal again, and they don't actually even tell you how many layers of appeals there are. They don't even really tell you who's reviewing your file. I uh, was just recently looking at a claims file, John, where the individual had gone through three, I think maybe three or four appeals before she came to us. Um, We are in the midst of resolving the legal claim. But in the context of that, what's important was that it was the same adjuster, exactly the same person looking at each one of those appeals and saying no again and again and again. And that is my biggest problem with this appeal process is that it's not transparent, it's not in your policy, 
there are no requirements for the insurance company to do a medical review, talk to your doctors, talk to you, uh, you know, put another adjuster on the file, none of that. And the time frames they provide people are absolutely arbitrary. Just because they tell you to appeal in 30 days doesn't mean they're going to respond to you in 30 days. In fact, in many instances, they take months to respond back to people on their appeal, waiting them out. That is what they're doing, John. They're waiting them out. Either people get desperate because they don't have any money and they need to get back to work and they will yep. put their health at risk to do that, or they'll give up, or uh, you know, they will just simply walk away and or run down that clock for starting that legal claim. So I really have a hard time with the appeal process. I think it even becomes that much more difficult when the insurance company knows that there's further surgery on the horizon, which is what CJ describes for us. Insurance companies get impatient, and with the backlog, with all the health system issues that we're having, they really don't want people on claim for a number of months waiting for another surgery or another treatment measure or on a wait list for a pain clinic. I mean, there's so many wait lists right now. And so they'd prefer to take the position that, look, um, you know, uh, he's not disabled, he's not, he or she, rather, um, is not disabled and, and doesn't need this surgery, and so, you know, this is not a true basis for a disability claim. And this is really the heart of it as well, John, is that if the surgery is medically necessary for a gender dysphoria issue, then I think that there are elements here of a disability claim to me that suggest that the adjuster doesn't have a very good understanding of CJ's disability claim. Because I suspect it's not just the surgery, John. I suspect that there are other health issues at play for which, you know, CJ's doctors are recommending that you know, they remain off work and wait out surgery and, and all the other treatment measures that might be in place. And so if that's the case, I think for CJ, it's important that there be medical information for all of it, not just about the upcoming surgery, but all of the different health issues should be in front of the adjuster for review. Let's move on to a, a question for my disability questions. I, I love this one, too, because uh, people don't realize how important this is. is yeah. uh, tomorrow, uh, my insurance company has asked me to apply for CPP disability benefits. Three insurance forms we want me to sign. Number one, CPP appeal, uh, CPP appeal authorization be taken on by the insurance company. Retroactive payment authorization from, authorization from CPP and authorization for the insurance company to release all my information to CPP disability. Should I be authorizing one or all of these forms? Yes, really, really good question. And so, look, these are forms that the insurance company wants you to sign because their disability policy allows them to take a credit for anything that you get for CPP disability. And so they want to make sure that they get that credit. And so one of these forms is an authorization to allow the insurance company to take that money directly from the government once you are approved. I, you know, I don't much mind that, I suppose, John, uh, and I don't even really much mind the appeal authorization because, you know, then it's the insurance company sort of partnering with you, so to speak, to try and get these disability benefits approved from the government's perspective. What I have a little bit of trouble with is the unfettered authorization to allow the insurance company to share information to the government about your health. I really would prefer to see a bit more control around that one. But if you've already spent money getting reports and the insurance company has all of that and your doctor has sent a bunch of things to the insurance company, then maybe you want to sign that form too because it helps you at the end get all that information over to the government to have them assess, do you have a severe and prolonged disability? 
the good always outweighs the bad on the CPP disability front, John, and that's kind of where I would end that particular question. And that is where we will end the show. Fantastic information, a wealth of knowledge you are. Tomorrow, you can always reach out to tomorrow and the team now. Ready for that phone call. Make a difference. Get some information. Protect yourself. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Or you can also use anonymously mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.